0: The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom, both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. I'm going to say what a joy it is. Thank you all for welcoming me uh, this Sunday to your church. Uh, Thank you to Pastor Charlie for the kind invitation. Um, I do bring you greetings from DC, where I serve as the assistant campus minister uh, at Howard, where the gospel is abounding. And this summer, we're gearing up for the fall semester, so if you'd be interested in learning more about how you can support or partner us in our ministry, we'd love to speak to you afterwards. Uh, This morning, I will be preaching from Acts chapter 14. Uh, I believe it's printed 18 in your bulletins, uh, but on the screen, it should be 18, and also in your pew Bible. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. Acts chapter 14, this chapter actually concludes Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey where he speaks to us about fulfilling our own gospel mission as Christ Church. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 14, this is how the Bible reads, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands but the people of the city were divided some sided with the jews and some with the apostles when an attempt was made by both jews and gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them they learned of it and fled to lystra and derby cities of Laconia, into the surrounding country and there they continued to preach the gospel Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out men why are you doing these things we also are men of like nature with you and we bring you the good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of god and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the lord in whom they had believed then they passed through pisidia and came to pamphylia And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. This here is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we look at this passage, will you pray with me once more? Dear Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship you this Sunday. God, we thank you for your great grace for us, that you would allow us to be in your word and to learn more about the gospel, the good news of what you've done for us in Christ. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would encourage the discouraged. God, I ask that you would calm our hearts and our fears and our anxieties that we are thinking about for the next week. I ask that you would center our hearts on your word, that our hearts would be fertile soil for your word to be planted and that we would be strengthened in the faith. We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. It was some years ago when a British missionary named Hudson Taylor Uh, was scheduled to preach in Birmingham, England at the Severn Street schoolroom, and it was a stormy night. His hostess attempted to dissuade him from going in the torrential downpour by telling him that everyone in town would assume it was canceled. But was it not announced for tonight? Taylor asked. I must go, even if there was no one but the doorkeeper, he said. Indeed, the meeting was attended by less than 12 people. However, there was such an outpouring of the Spirit's power that half of those present either became missionaries, gave their children as missionaries, while the other half became regular supporters of Hudson's mission. And church, I bring this story before you this morning because Hudson Taylor is not the only Christian to encounter storms on his gospel mission, left to wonder, God, is this a sign the mission has been canceled? But many in the sanctuary today have battled storms and sufferings on our own missionary journey. Remember, as the church, we've been called by the Lord to this gospel work, to live on mission for His glory in His kingdom. We've been saved by the precious blood of Christ, forgiven of our sins and trespasses, redeemed into God's own family, and set apart for His service. God has commissioned you and me to make disciples of all nations so that being devoted to the call of Jesus through the end of our lives, we would one day hear those beautiful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You and I have tasted the fruit of our gospel labors. We've experienced the joy of seeing God at work in the souls of our children, our neighbors, family members, and friends. However, it is also on the journey that we suffer the pains of the Christian mission. We love the Lord and desire to cross the finish line, but right now, this Sunday, many of us are burdened by daily trials, feeling pulled back and forth between encouragement and discouragement, hope and despair, and have become distressed and disheartened in the work altogether. And we wonder, God, what are you doing? Are you still with me? Should I continue this mission? Is what I do even worth it? There is a student in church today you've been committed to telling your peers about the love of God while all semester you questioned if God truly loved you. There's some young professional, you desire to be a faithful Christ-like presence for your non-Christian co-workers, but fear being viewed as disingenuous or ill-equipped in the task of evangelism. There's a parent, you've done your best to faithfully raise your children in the word of the Lord, yet every other week are tempted to despair at the world your children must live in. There's some ministry leader or pastor this morning wrestling with the spiritual disappointment of seeing your ministry make real strides in the right direction, only to regress shortly after. It begs the question, does it not, church, why should we continue in our Christian mission despite the storms and sufferings that seem to disappoint our mission well, surely this, this is the very dilemma facing the apostles in Acts chapter 14. Remember, Acts, we see God's unfolding plan to bring salvation to all the earth. And, and one of the key instruments in the early church's mission is Paul the apostle. Paul, who was once Saul, that violent opponent of the Christian faith, has been saved by Christ, appointed to the ministry, and is now commissioned to go on his first missionary journey. He and Barnabas have been called together by the Spirit to bring the good news of Jesus overseas. They've preached the word in synagogues at Salamis, converted the governor on the island of Paphos, preached the whole story of God's redemption in Pisidia, and have now made their way to proclaim Jesus in Iconium. But what we find in our text today is that on each side of every ministry success comes a ministry mess. You can feel the tension rising off the page. Great suffering meets the apostles at every turn. Though it is through their perseverance and their missionary journey that we gain encouragement for our own mission as the church. So why should you and I continue in our Christian mission despite the storms and sufferings that seem to disappoint our mission? Well, in our passage today, God provides the answer. But before we arrive at why we ought to continue our mission, we learn how to fulfill our mission. And first, our text teaches us that if we're going to fill our, fulfill our mission as Christ Church, we must continue to bring the gospel to those who will hear even after some do not hear. And we begin at Iconium where we see the power in faithful preaching amid persecution. Verse one, the text opens. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Iconium is a wealthy and prosperous town in the province of Galatia. And as Paul and Barnabas enter this new city, they follow a pattern that's common throughout their entire ministry. And that's making an immediate visit to the Jewish synagogue. And this morning, the sanctuary happens to be packed from the front to the back. The synagogue is full of people eager to hear the word proclaimed. Already, Luke is building our expectation as readers that something amazing is bound to take place. Can you use your spiritual imagination? Paul gathers himself, puts on his Britney Spears microphone, marches to the pulpit, opens the scroll and says, Brothers and sisters, hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus Christ is God's promised Messiah, the savior of sinners. Paul expounds the Pentateuch. He explains the law and the prophets. He makes his way through Hebrew poetry. And the people say, that's great, Paul, but what's the main idea? And Paul says, the main idea, friends, it's always only been Jesus. When Israel wandered in the wilderness without food and water, but their needs were supplied every day, it was Jesus. When an Egyptian slave woman named Hagar was mistreated and she said, you are the God who sees me, it was Jesus. When three Hebrew boys were pushed into a blazing furnace but a fourth figure stood beside them in the fire, it was Jesus. When Abraham was nearing the sacrifice of his son Isaac but an animal substitute showed up to take Isaac's place, it was Jesus. And the Bible says, that the apostles preach the gospel in such a way that a large number of Jews believe, Greeks come to faith. Such a move of God that listeners get saved this morning. Many people place their faith in Christ for salvation. Friends, this is the mission of God, this is why we preach. Paul and Barnabas, as you imagine, are ecstatic, overjoyed at what they have just witnessed. People of the city coming to faith in Christ, seeing the fruit of their missionary labors, conversions to the Lord. But wait, as Paul is closing his sermon, something happens. Their excitement is quickly interrupted by shouting from the back of the room, the disbelieving Jews those who refuse to believe the good news stand up stating they will not accept Paul's gospel. Furthermore, not not only are they fixed on their own unbelief, they begin to prejudice the minds of the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. The text says they're stirring up the Gentiles, provoking members in the crowd, poisoning and bittering the minds of congregants. Out of their jealous rage, they work to turn the crowd away from the good news to themselves. This unbelieving bunch desires to snatch the faith, if you will, of those who have just become Christians. In church, I've seen this this last year at Howard. It's not only the college philosophy professor who is bent on convincing freshmen that the Christian faith they were raised with is actually folly. It's not only the false YouTube teachers trying to dissuade HBCU students from embracing the Christian tradition of our grandmothers. It's not only the friend or significant others who minimize Christ's call to live in holiness or righteousness, but but all around us, through voices and vices, the enemy really seeks to upset the faith of those to whom we minister, to pull them from out of the fold, And what was just a wonderful testimony of the Lord's work has now seemingly been frustrated by trial and trouble. And this initial stirring by the Jews leads to the division of the city and the discipline of the apostles. Some side with the Jews, some side with the apostles. At last a riot breaks out, the scripture says, and a city mob who who just listened to the word is incited to insult and stone the apostles. Fortunately, in God's providence, Paul and Barnabas learn about this evil plot and make their escape from Iconium to the region of Laconia. But here's what we learn in Iconium. At every turn, when storms rage, when persecution mounts, when ministry becomes distressing, these two men continue to preach. After the Jews poisoned the minds of the Gentiles, they remained speaking boldly for the Lord. After they're pushed out of Iconium, they continue to preach the gospel in the next region. Surely they might have been disheartened after what had taken place. Surely they might have feared what would occur at the next stop. Surely what appeared to be three steps forward now looks to be five steps backward. But they continue to preach the gospel for they know god has not finished working however harshly they're treated they know they've been positioned by the lord to be his witnesses in their own place and so it is with you and i whether we're pushed out or move out we ought to take the good news with us wherever we go Our only response to trial and trouble on the journey is to continue to bring the good news of Jesus, to spread the fragrance of his goodness and his grace to our neighbors. For there are still humans who need to hear our message. For there are still friends, coworkers, and students who want to hear our message. For we've got a gospel this city is thirsting for, a gospel that still saves souls. A gospel that still mends broken hearts. A gospel that still has power over every disappointment. A gospel that still has power over feelings of hopelessness. A gospel that can still cast out every fear. A gospel this town still needs to hear. Remember, this is why Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Therefore, as Christians, we are to never stop moving. Amen. Amen. When we become discouraged in the mission, let us not assume the mission has been canceled. No, the mission remains fixed theology, flexible methodology. The gospel we preach remains the same, though the avenue or arena by which you communicate it that's free to change. But wherever we serve, we must continue to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Because watch this. This, this is why I love the scripture. I, I'm a Bible nerd. When, when you keep preaching, God will use your mistreatment at Iconium to launch, launch your ministry in Laconia. God uses the persecution in verse 5 to push the gospel to the next region in verse 7. Because where there is great opposition towards the church, there is great opportunity for the church. What appears to be a hindrance to our ministry is actually a catalyst for ministry. Friends, we must continue to preach even when the storm shows up. from Iconium, Paul and Barnabas make their way to Laconian cities, Lystra and Derby. And we go on to see what takes place in these cities. And we find that While we are to proclaim our faith on the missionary journey, there will be those who do not at first grasp our faith. Thus, we fulfill our Christian mission, secondly, when we are committed to engaging our neighbors who misunderstand our faith. It's at Lystra where we witness a divine healing followed by a human misunderstanding. The passage goes on in verse eight. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. Lystra is a thriving market town, 20 miles southwest of Iconium. And Paul, like many philosophers in the town, does not run to preach at the synagogue, but on the street corner to the masses. Nevertheless, seated in the audience, listening to Paul's sermon, is a lame man. As you know, lame men are highlighted throughout the New Testament. Remember, Jesus healed a lame man after forgiving his sins in Mark chapter 2. And he healed another lame man after telling him to take up his bed and walk near the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. In Acts chapter 3, Peter healed a lame beggar. But here in Lystra lies another lame man one who has no mobility in his feet, no capability in his limbs. Look at how the text describes him. Watch the repetition. Sitting who could not use his feet, crippled from birth, had never walked. Luke the writer is emphasizing how serious this man's condition is, how impossible restoration appears. The man essentially is incurable. Healing is impossible. But is there anybody at Shady Grove this morning thankful that our God is not intimidated by the impossible? But he specializes in putting his touch on impossible situations. Anyone grateful that Jesus has stepped into some of your impossible circumstances, problems you thought were unchangeable, chains you assumed were unbreakable, all you need is his touch this morning. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. And, weakness. and listening deeply to Paul preach this gospel, Paul looks intently at the lame man. And Paul sees that, that the man has faith to be healed in Jesus' name. Thus, he commands him, stand upright on your feet. And immediately, you love how the Bible just goes right to immediately. Oh, that's so fun. The lame man sprang up and began walking. A, a miracle. The crippled man who had no capability to walk has now leaped after being miraculously healed. For the first time in his life, he can walk. And the crowd, of course, is astounded. The bystanders in Lystra are amazed. Nonetheless, there is a misunderstanding to the miracle. The people of Lystra, seeing the cure, believe they are visited by the divine. However, they misinterpret who is divine and responsible for performing the miracle. Therefore, instead of worshiping God who worked the miracle through the apostles, the crowd worships the apostles and worship them as the As a result instead, as Romans 1, they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And this pagan crowd esteems Paul and Barnabas as Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, and move to sacrifice expensive oxen and garlands to show them honor. Truly, they see the power of God on display, but they are unable to grasp that it was actually God who had shown up. And Paul and Barnabas, of course, they understand the idolatrous worship that they are receiving, and they tear their garments, and they rush out into the crowd and protest. No, what are you all doing? And they begin to communicate to this non-believing crowd that we're mere humans who have come to preach the good news to you. No, no you need to turn not to us, but, but from worshiping false idols to the living God. The God who lives and saves and transforms. He's the one who performs miracles. He's the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He's the patient God who has shown you grace, who who has provided for you in every season. The God of mercy and kindness, the source of all things. And in the same way, friends, we, we too live in a day where our Christian faith will be misunderstood. Our good works our social ethic our commitment to the scriptures our christians convictions christian convictions will be misinterpreted and like the apostles even after explaining your faith your neighbor still may not understand but in the patience and grace of jesus may we not let the discouragement of being misunderstood deter you from trying again you have no idea what seed god has been planting You've been entrusted with the gospel. So we must be willing to engage those who do not understand why we do what we do. And moments pass here in Lystra. And just when you thought the mission was over, there's one more twist. Therefore, we fulfill our gospel mission when we remember to strengthen our brothers and sisters who have lost their ministry strength. Here we behold that a Christian's affliction can be used for the gospel's advancement. Verse 19, the passage slows down. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So from nearby Antioch and Iconium, the unbelieving Jews from the beginning, they've been tracking Paul and Barnabas steps every um, mission, every step of the mission. And they get to a place where they can move upon them to speak against them as Paul is preaching in Lystra. And so with no legal authority outside their own city, the Jews come to Lystra, win over the crowd to accomplish what they failed to do back at Iconium. And oh, how a crowd will change its view of you so quickly. Remember, Paul was just praised as a god, and now he's become a target for persecution. And so they find Paul, they stone Paul, and drag him outside of the city as if he were a dangerous false prophet. And the stoning is so severe, the Bible says that the crowd supposes that Paul is dead. But in God's protection, Paul miraculously survives. And personally, here is where I would have signed up for my sabbatical. I'm like, okay, they're out here stoning folks. I need to go to Cabo. Because at this point in the narrative, it seems as if there's just one trial after another. And this is why remaining steadfast on the missionary journey is a spiritual battle. When we continually experience trials in our Christian ministry, we're tempted to believe that God has abandoned us in the ministry. And if God is not at work, if we're not seeing immediate results, this ministry must be in vain. Maybe this is not what I should be doing at all. Maybe the Lord did not actually call me to serve here. And Paul honestly could have thought, God, you set me apart to go on this missionary journey. I thought you'd be with me here, blessing my ministry. But watch the beauty of Christian community in times of need. Verse 20 reads, when the disciples gathered about him, Paul rose up and entered the city and on the next day he went with Barnabas to Derby. The believers who just witnessed Paul being stoned, they encircled him in order to help him up. Often when when you've taken a beating in ministry, after you've had a long week, being dragged to and fro, what you need on Friday is a few disciples who will encircle you and help you back on your feet. This is our calling as the people of God, surrounding those who have been knocked down to help them back up and enter the city. And when the text says Paul entered the city, the Greek translation is literally, he went back into the city. The Christians who gathered around Paul enabled him to go back into the same ministry space that just knocked him to the ground. And from there, Paul goes on to advance the gospel, preaching in Derby, making many disciples. But it goes a step further. Oh, I love the scripture. After planting a church in Derby, where does Paul go back through? The Bible says Paul returns to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Where was Paul just rejected, mistreated, and dragged out? At Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. But when you've been strengthened by the Lord, you have the power to go back into the ministry places that were discouraging, to strengthen those who still remain. And Paul remembers those brothers and sisters in those cities and returns to encourage them in the faith. Surely those believers needed to be uplifted. Paul goes back in to inspire true faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The same places that were disappointing, Paul goes back in because there was still fruit on the vine. Likewise, church, may we be a congregation known for going back in. Where people are running out of schools and jobs, where ministry is tough, may we be the ones who are actually going into those spaces to strengthen the faith of those present. Where is God calling this church to go back in for ministry? Remember Hosea went back in, Jonah went back in, Jeremiah went back in. Even in disappointing seasons, there's still work to be done. And this is God's answer this morning to why we ought to continue our mission, though storms arise. Because it is through affliction, that we accomplish our mission. Through many tribulations, continued preaching of the gospel while enduring persecution for the gospel is how we fulfill our gospel mission. Remember, storms are a part of your missionary journey. For God is able to spread the fragrance of his gospel further on the other side of our storms. And this is the message for today that, that it is through the cross that you'll receive your crown. This is the message for today as Paul who said, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Our lives as Christians are to tell the same story of our Savior. It was Pastor William Edwards of Mercy Presbyterian Church who comments, what story do I want my life and ministry to tell? A subtle danger is to proclaim the message of Jesus' death and resurrection while expecting to live out a story that, though it may include some occasional difficulty, primarily shares a script with the world, exchanging the theme of death and resurrection for another story more appealing to this age. And as a young pastor on the college campus, I counsel students every week who say, Chris, you do not understand. I declare this year that this will be a year with no trials and no pain. And while you can hear the deficiency in such a mindset, how often do we who have been Christians for two decades adopt the same outlook on our own Christian lives? But as followers of Christ, remember, our lives are to be modeled after his own. There will be temporary grief here on earth but before everlasting glory in eternity. And though we may be distressed and overwhelmed today, let us remember the teachings of our Lord. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world." This light momentary affliction cannot compare to the joy that will be revealed. And through our conviction to proclaim the good news of Jesus in every season, we will be able to complete the gospel work that we've begun. And this is how the story ends. Passing through Pisidia, Paul and Barnabas go from north to south, preaching the gospel in every town, finishing their ministry journey, completing it. What a trip. Having been obedient to the call of God. Verse 24 through 28 tells us that they fulfill their gospel work through success and storms. They fulfill the work God gave them to do. And watch how it ends. When they return to Syria, it ends with the praise report. They come up on Sunday morning in the pulpit reporting all God had done throughout their ministry, describing what God had accomplished. Surely God was at work the entire journey. And church, this is what you and I are called to this morning, to be faithful to proclaim Jesus throughout all our lives, one day being commended by the Lord for the work we have fulfilled. So keep proclaiming the good news of your God, Keep loving your neighbors and your classmates. Keep strengthening one another in the love of Christ. And as I close, you know how preachers say, I'm getting ready to close. This is actually a close. Church today, we remember that our God is sovereign, unfolding his plan of salvation in our midst, providentially moving to bring the gospel to new people and places through you and I. And he uses the preaching and persecution in your life to bring the gospel forward. As you and I minister in this fallen world, we become fatigued, stressed, and saddened. We see God at work, but are often thrown by affliction and trouble. Thus, we, we need God's spirit to strengthen our inner being to embolden us to remain in him, and by the help of the Lord, you and I will fulfill our mission. For we ought to continue on the mission when affliction comes, because it is through the affliction that we fulfill our mission. Truly, if Hudson Taylor would have stopped that night because of the thunderstorm, those six individuals would not have become missionaries. If Paul and Barnabas would have given up in the middle, the gospel would not have gone out to Laconia and Syria and elsewhere. But the real good news of our text this morning is there was another one who did not conclude his mission until it was fulfilled. And by his finished work, you and I are able to be in the sanctuary today. Remember, he was born to a poor mother and a young father in a barn in Bethlehem. He was raised in a low condition. Growing in wisdom and stature, he learned the word of God as he got older. And this young boy would grow into a grown man, beginning his earthly ministry at the age of 30. Being fully God and fully man, he was committed to the mission of God to seek and save all that was lost. Remember, he walked on the sea. He healed the sick and diseased. He opened the eyes of the blind. He made the lame stand up. He restored hearing for the deaf he forgave sinners and set free those in captivity. But at the age of 33, his hour had arrived. The reason he was sent from heaven to earth had finally come. Arrested in the middle of the night for crimes he did not commit, he was mocked and beaten, leaving him with no physical strength to carry his own cross. Though when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but continued entrusting himself to the Father who judges justly. And he hung up on the cross in our place that day, being in agony. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured that cross. And he endured it all the way to the end, didn't he, church, crying out, it is finished. And he died there that day, and they took him down and buried him in a nearby tomb. And surely Friday was a very sad day. Saturday, all the hopes of his followers and disciples was lost. But just when you thought the story had ended, it was only getting started. Because early on Sunday morning, this Jesus got up. And through Jesus fulfilling his mission, now you and I can can leave this sanctuary and fulfill our own mission. Friends, we've got a gospel to preach. We've got a mission to fulfill. So you ought to keep going, for the Lord is faithful. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for this A wonderful picture of Paul and Barnabas through trial and trouble fulfilling their gospel mission. Lord Jesus, we know that it is only by what you've done for us that we can fulfill ours. And I ask that by your grace and your strength, you would enable us to push forward in the good news when we become stressed or fatigued or discouraged. I ask that you would lead us forward as we now come to your table, that you would strengthen us and nourish us.